0: We ready. Um, these are apparently burning questions. These are questions that were burning in your hearts, that um, you sent them our way, and prayerfully and 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 honestly, um, took some time. So these questions were very, very. Um, I wouldn't call them challenging. I don't know if I'll. If it was challenging to you, I don't know if you want to grab your mic and start speaking to, into it, too. Um, so here's the first question. Without without further ado, we will go to the first question that was asked. I have it in front of me, but I wanted to read it to see my eyesight. Um, there you go. I told you it was a burning question. Here's the first question that was asked, if you're still with us. We're, we're starting the answer, by the way, Caleb, back there, in the back, for all ladies. Um, uh, the sooner we go through these questions, the sooner we uh, will be able to fellowship. So here's the first question. What does the Bible say about the war in Israel, and should we take sides? Very good question. And um, I will defer this to to Kyle. Put him under the bus right there. That's it. Go ahead, man, where you at? Uh, Okay.
1: Um, I think this question um, has its own intent in the background, but the question is a very simple one. What does the Bible say about the war in Israel? generally the bible says that israel does not believe in god has broken the covenant of god and they are basically under judgment right now they're even enemies of the cross right now or the gospel but they're not forgotten or god did not leave them to perish right he still has a covenant with them he's faithful to them still one of the things that Jesus reminded us is, he told them before he left, right? You're gonna see a lot of wars and you're gonna see a lot of chaos once I leave, until you, unless you believe in me, right? So generally, the Bible says there is going to be hard time for Israel. Israel, because they are the covenant people of God, are gonna suffer more than the rest of the nations in the world. So this is the reality. But as far as what the question asks, does it specifically talk about this war? Nope. Um, Should we take sides? Nope. Very simple answers to these things. But if we get to the intent of the question, or what are the questions that come to our minds when we think of this war, I think we're thinking, are we for Israel or like, do they get a special like privilege because they were the people of God, mm-hmm. or is this just like you know a random nation, um, just like the rest of the nations you know what I mean that are lost, or should we be for the side of the current thinking where like every nation is equal? you know what I mean? so it wouldn't be fair to side with one nation, no matter what happens, right, or we should look at the casualties and talk about. You know, it's not fair, it's not right, it's wrong. And I'm on the side of no human being should perish because of war. Uh, I'm on the side of every nation should be treated um, equally, definitely, right? And the Bible is on the side of that. Jesus preached to us a gospel where nobody um, advocates war. Nobody, Forget war. Jesus is against anger, right? Um, He's against our heart's sinfulness, let alone external expression of this extreme sinfulness, right? But at the end of the day, we live in a broken world, and these things are real things that happen, right? Even though we are preached against not to be angry, we struggle not to be angry every day. So this is the reality of the world. So I would say don't take sides, do the hard work of trying to be on the side of goodness, right? Loving everyone, being in pain for everyone that loses their lives. Children that are going through the pain of war right now, it's a big deal, right? The only difference between them and us is we're not in the same situation, that's it. We could have been easily targets of the same problem, right? So don't take sides in terms of political sides or whatever the current preaching of the world really is take sides with those who are suffering suffer for them pray for them if you could make a difference in the world if you can voice your 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 opinion in such a way that it could influence their rescue be on that side Um, but beyond that like majority of the conversation concerning this war is ill-informed it's emotional it's just not even biblical. So I would say, refrain from most of that. That's, that's where I, I want to keep it yeah. for now.
0: Yeah. Okay. What he said um, <laughs> is what I would add to it. No, honestly, I, I think that's essentially what I would um, echo as well is like to answer the second question first, or the last question, the uh, second part of the question first. Uh, should we take sides? Um, I think there's no there's no neutral position in in any sense of form in any choices that you have and life neutrality is not necessarily a a reality right um, so yes you should take side but not to Israel or Hamas or Palestine or whatever take God's side is what he's um what he was saying um and I think you have a follow-up question to that. Yes. Um, doesn't the Bible say it's, it's in our best interest or it's the righteous interest to take the side of the oppressed? Um, again, that's why I'm, I'm bringing it, looking at it, what does it mean to be oppressed? From whose vantage point are we defining oppression? Are we defining oppression based on the vantage point of humanity? Are we looking at oppression from the vantage point of God? Um, in which every group of people with, if we're consistent with our definition of oppression, right? That's, that's one of the things that we see a lot. Um, I was listening. I was. I heard on uh, on the news yesterday that, or something. I was listening to, uh, or reading, that the prime minister of Israel was quoting Isaiah to justify his actions. But it's inconsistent because Isaiah points to Christ and he rejects Christ. So if we're going to be consistent in our definitions of sides or oppression, those things have to be consistent across the board. And only the biblical worldview gives us that consistency. Um, so if Israelites are being oppressed, then we should be on their side in terms of like, what does oppression mean? If, if Palestinians are being oppressed, we should also take their side or um, stand for them. Um, if Canadians are being oppressed, we should stand for them. It's, it, it always strikes me when I was thinking through this question, I was, um, I think last time we had a Q&A, the Russian-Ukrainian war was still a play, right? Which still is happening right now. But we never received a question. What does the Bible say about the Russian-Ukraine war? And I'm not trying to deflect or anything like that. But the reason why this question is asked in the context of the church is because of the role that Israel plays in, 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 in our Bible. So there is a role that the Bible displays uh, for Israel, which Gal, I think, articulated very well. And if, we can, if, if it's not clear for you, then we can talk about it later individually even. Um so in terms of like what does he say about the war in Israel, this specific war? I mean we don't nothing would be my, my short answer. There's nothing specifically about the 2023 war between Israel and Hamas that the Bible tells us, but we do know that there will be wars just like anybody else. And then we can even take a, a contextual view of... This is actually, this war that's happening is a judgment on Israel um, by God. Now we can take a look at it and we can say, but they're so technologically advanced. And then the news tells us that they're bombing and they're killing a lot more. And they put the city under siege. Read your Bible. They have been under siege and they can go back. And this is what they go back to, right? They look at the context and they go 3,000 years or not even, 50 years ago when they say, oh, Hitler killed so many millions of us and you know we are so persecuted and we are the oppressed group and we've never been oppressed like that. Let's go back to ancient e- Egyptian history time and they can, they can point to that. But this has been going on not only for, in the modern term, they would say this has been going on for 70 years or so, 75 years. I tend to think this has been going on for at least 2,500 years. And this was a judgment passed on Israel in the book of Judges. Book of Judges started, starts by saying, okay, God puts them in sovereignly and we can't reconcile it. I can't tell you why God chose to do that in, in his mind because I'm not God, um, nor can we reconcile it. And then they go into the land that he promises them, and they fail to dispossess the land completely. And God tells them, because you have disobeyed me and did not dispossess the people of the land like I commanded you, I'm going to actually leave them in the land to test you by them. And then the history kind of just unfolds. So Old Testament history comes from that to the point where Israel gets besieged they get dismantled they get the king and they put a a hook in his nose and drag him to Babylon all these things right and Israel does stops to exist as a nation for a couple hundred years even and then they come back and God restores them so there is a special interest of Israel that God has why because he chose them why because he did I can tell you why it's not because they're strong. It's not because they're special. It's not because they're religious. He chose them. And they just keep coming back because God has a sovereign plan and through whom Jesus came, by the way. Um, so from that perspective, um, we can we can take a look at it and say, okay, this is just a working out of what God has promised would happen to Israel if they fail to uh, disobey Him, um, if they fail to obey him if they choose to disobey him, which they did. And um, and this is what we're seeing, honestly, is just a byproduct of sinfulness because the judgment doesn't affect just the nation of Israel. It affects everybody around them. It affects us even, because our taxes are gonna go up eventually because we're pouring so much money um, looking at it from, from that perspective, right? It, it affects us even because the American government has given billions of dollars to, to that war and we're being affected. I, I don't want things to go up in price, you know, like people flying are being affected. I mean, these are like the minute effects which are not com- compared to the effects of those that are being like bombed or starved or um, Besieged are are facing, but this is the working out of um, the effects of sin um, around them. So, from that perspective, I think we should take the side of God and whoever is oppressed, as my sister clearly pointed, the Bible does say, if whoever is oppressed from the perspective of God, we should stand by them. We should stand for justice and ultimately we should pray. For honestly, both sides, um, to come to faith in Christ and to be redeemed, because that's the ultimate solution for, for everything. Um, and this, is, this will be the cycle of the worlds. We are not the first generation to deal with this conundrum. Um, and the Bible tells us, we will not be the, the last either uh, unless the Lord comes in our generation. Um, and this would not be resolved, so that's, that would be the only thing I would add to that. Um, I don't know if it complicated it.
1: Can I speak one thing?: sure. to that to that effect? I think like when we think, I think this has been pushed so far in this topic and in every topic, I think. We want to stand on the side of people who are oppressed, but I think the way it's formulated is wrong. I think people who are oppressed do not belong to a group of a nation or a group of certain ethnicity or whatever. Mm-hmm. As an Ethiopian, people look at me and sometimes some people just hate me or other people would just love me because I'm an Ethiopian. One is horrible because before I even open my mouth, they have already judged me and they, they don't want nothing to do with me. right? The other one is horrible because it's going to make me prideful and just put me in the wrong place. Either one is sinful, right? It doesn't help me when people group me as a group person, evaluate me before they even talk to me, right? It's not good. Um, The same way, neither Israelis nor people from Palestine are the oppressed group as a nation. They're not. If we're oppressed by anything, we're oppressed by sin. And everybody's under sin's oppression, right? And if you want to take sides, you want to take sides of people who are perishing without knowing Christ, mm-hmm. that's what we should care about. If you want to take side, take sides to relieve the people, either side, right? Both Israelis and um, Palestine people, people from Palestine who are about to die, who are being bombed, who are suffering just because there's a crossfire between two countries and two political entities. So never take a political side, never take a nation side and consider one nation evil and the other one righteous. You will never be able to solve the problem. That's a very simplistic, very man-based reality of thinking that doesn't solve anything. It's just a very horrible solution to a complex problem. They're not even willing to think further about the problem, right? So let's face the complexity of human life under sin. Let us be on the side of God, as Manny has been saying, and care for the salvation, and also the lives of people in their Amen. body as well, right?
0: Amen. All right, what's the next question? How do we evangelize the parents or close relatives versus other people and friends? Um, since you went first last time, I've, got, see, I've, I've picked these and ordered them the same way, so I'm, I'm just taking the low-hanging fruits. You know? um, I don't know who asked this question. Um, I don't know who asked any of those questions, um, honestly, but I would say what's the difference between parents and close relatives? Um, or other people and friends, um, that, that's, that's the first thing that I started thinking about. Like, why is there a difference? And I think the heart is those who are close to you, those who live with you, those who know you, how do you evangelize them um, versus those who don't see you every day and don't know your struggles or don't know your weaknesses and stuff like that. I think that's a lot easier for us to witness to strangers that we just meet. Who don't know anything about us in our lives and our struggles, and because all we got to do is just go tell them about Jesus and how he saved us and how he can save them too, and then just going about our merry day and not necessarily be confronted by that person that we evangelize um, if they are to come to, to Christ, or there's no like. Um, cross-examination of our lives so to speak Uh, and I I think that's where this question is coming from and if I missed the intention uh, whoever asked it uh, you can come and talk to me Um, so in thinking through this I um, thought of of a few scriptures uh, a few passages of scripture that can be helpful for us to consider Um, like we know what how to evangelize by um, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, that's the Great Commission, right? We have to go, um, and we have to proclaim the gospel, and we have to teach them what the Lord taught us. Um, that is more practical. Um, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus tells them, When you receive power, then you will be my witnesses, in Jerusalem, in Judea, to Samaria, and then the ends of the world, right? So there's, there's this model, if you will, that you start where you begin. Like you start at the center and then you kind of just broaden the horizon. And the book of Acts ends with that as Paul is um, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. To whomever comes in Rome, which is to the Gentiles, um, and, and the fulfillment of that. But what I do want to emphasize, and I think we, we go over that, is the conditional clause in that, in that verse. When you receive power. So the witnessing and evangelizing is not something that we do in and of our own efforts or it's not a strategy. And there, there are helpful strategies of doing it. Like, you know, you can give tracts and you could go street preaching. Um, there's, there's many strategies that are helpful, but we are just mere tools in that. And like, it's when they received the power of the Holy spirit, it's through the Holy spirit that we evangelize. So I think knowing that and believing that and applying that to our evangelistic endeavors, whether it's to parents or close relatives or other people or friends, um, that should be the emphasis. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we evangelize, having that established um, Paul reminds us in Colossians chapter four verses five and six that our speech and our conduct should be blameless in the sight of others that we should we should speak wisely, we shouldn't be rash in the way that we speak to unbelievers, our testimonies our our, our conversations should be um, wise and attractive so that's some another practical way to think about how do we evangelize we don't want to go out and just say if it doesn't call for that believe in Jesus or you're going to hell like you're a sinner you're going to hell I mean the first thing that you, you would receive from others is what rejection people are going to but. They might not even know what sin is to begin with. Like they might not believe, it. obviously they don't believe in Jesus, but like what is hell except for a curse word that I use when I drop something, right? Like to them, it's not a real place. So because they don't know, it's, it's imperative that we use the wisdom that is presented for us throughout Scripture, but most specifically as I was thinking about this in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Um, And then I want us to really consider one thing um, that Peter talks about, in 1 Peter chapter 3. He talks in the context, verses 1 uh, and 2, he talks in the context of wives and husbands. But I think we can take that model and kind of expand it. Uh, And I'm not trying to take it out of context and say this is what the Bible teaches. But I think we can take that model and apply it in terms of, Parents and close relatives. Um, what Peter tells wives that are believers who are married to an unbelieving husband is that they would continue to be submissive and be godly and hold theirself, themselves up um, to the standards that God holds them to, regardless of what the status of the husband is. Right? So, and in doing so, by without words, he says, actually, without even saying anything about, hey, you should believe in Jesus because I believe in Jesus and he died for you. Without even saying verbally evangelizing the husband by your conduct, wife, he says, Peter, your husband may come to faith in Christ. You're evangelizing by the way that you, you are patient with your husband in that, in that context, right? Uh, you, just your conduct in general and the model to kind of what'm I'm, what I'm taking out of that, and I think would be helpful for us as most of us may not be thinking in, a, in the context of I'm a husband or I'm a wife, most of us looking around I'm, I'm seeing I'm maybe thinking I'm a nephew or a niece or a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister. Your conduct matters. <laughs> Like if you're a believer and you happen to to have a a father or a mother who is an unbeliever, be an honoring and obedient child the way that God intends you to be, calls you to be. Even when they're being unfair, your parents that is. Even when they're being disobedient and you know, by that conduct they would say, why is my son or my daughter or uh, my nephew or my niece or my brother or my sister Still love me even though I'm overtly being like, abusive or sinful towards them. That's not a word that they would use. Like I'm actually doing bad things to them and they keep loving me. What is that about them that causes them to live that way? And that testimony of your life, the testimony of the life of the wife that Peter talks about, would be a tool of evangelism. And I think that is probably the most potent way besides words. Words matter, too. We should definitely tell people about Jesus with our words because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God or the word about the Lord Jesus, right? Um, So that's how people come to faith. But our conduct is going to be the difference um, in between how we evangelize parents and close relatives versus other people where we can just tell, hey, have you heard of the four spiritual laws or have you heard of the Ten Commandments? Have you ever lied? Have you ever um, stolen? Have you ever looked at a woman or a man in in a lustful way and and you have broken God's commandments? And, and But guess what? Just because you're a lawbreaker doesn't mean that you have to end up getting the punishment. So you can walk people through that when they're not, Um, close friends and relatives, but the close, I mean, the the, um, parents are are close relatives, but your parents and relatives might throw something up. But you just lied to me yesterday. Or you just, so that can cause a friction. I think that's where the heart of the question comes from as well. But I would say your conduct, um, being able to use it with wisdom by the power of the Holy Spirit and being obedient to the Great Commission is um, is a way to think through this. I don't know if uh, if you have anything to add to that. Um,
1: just so, because like there's many of us and people might be different in their personalities sure. and everything. Um, I agree 100% with that. I not only agree with that, I, I think that's the only answer to the question, basically. And it's good to know that, that we don't need to seek another answer for this particular question. I think that's what the Bible preaches. Um, maybe like the in the in this question, I, I was thinking about the situation. Uh, I'm looking at the congregation as well. Most of you are young and you come from an Ethiopian uh family, or associated with an Ethiopian family, Uh, and the culture itself, like when information comes from young people, may not respect that. Um, If people have raised you, they may not listen to what you have to say. Um, That's the only side that I want to speak about to add to this. I just want to tell you the gospel itself is a good news. Whoever you hear the a good news from, if you desperately need the good news, it really matters. So don't give up on it. The other one is the gospel says it is the power of God um, to salvation, right? Most of the times why people don't even care about the good news is they don't know the bad news of the reality that they are under sin, right? But just like Manny said... If you keep telling someone, you're under sin, you're under sin. If, if you keep pointing to them, their brokenness only, I mean, you don't have a relationship with that person to begin with. You might feel like it, but you don't. If anybody pointed to me, my sins now, even as a believer, I would avoid you. I'm just going to be honest with you, right? I can't bear it. Like, that's what the devil does to me, right? Present to me, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. I can't handle that that's why i go to christ because he bore it for me right so let alone people who don't know christ who don't know grace who don't know that their sins have been covered even us who are believers cannot stand that kind of treatment right so we can't treat people like that it doesn't mean we shouldn't communicate that at a specific moments when we are about to share the gospel because they need it they need to know so that they desperately need the good news But the rest of the time, it's having a good relationship with the person. Just like Manu has been saying, if you're a child, are you a good child, an obedient child, a loving child? Do you spend a lot of time with this person? Do you even know the person, whether it's your parent or your friend or your uncle or your aunt, whoever you're trying to tell the gospel to? Once you have a good relationship with that person, you can spend a specific moment to share with them the gospel in a specific time period, right? And when you do share this power of God with them, the first thing it does, just like Manny has been explaining, using God's law, show them that we are all sinners, right? And then immediately after that says, there's a punishment for sin and its death. But guess what? You don't have to pay for it because Jesus Christ paid for it 2,000 years ago. That's the good news. But if they don't know they are sinful, they won't be able to receive the good news. But then after that, you let it go. God is the one who can do the work in the heart of the person. But just believe the message that you have is the power of God. It's the words of God. He does things according to that message, right? I just want you to focus on that. Whether you're young, whether that person is not listening to you, Make sure to have a good relationship and trust in the power of the gospel to convert them and present to them present these to them in prayer ahead of time over and over again when God gives you the opportunity. But don't make it an everyday twenty four seven conversation because it's too much to continually struggle with how sinful we are. Right. Yeah.
0: That was good. Next question says if God has already revealed his word to us and given us the Bible, what's the point of prophecy? How do we know if a person is lying? You want a rock, paper, scissors? <laughs> no, go ahead. I think um, this is
1: asking, is prophecy necessary if we know God's will, basically, right, Um, from scripture? Um, I think yes. Um, The way I want to deal with this question is prophecy is not God's word right now or ever. Only God's word is God's word, first of all. Um, I don't want to say that in the sense of prophecy does not come from God. Just because someone is prophesying, we cannot prove that they're speaking from God is what I'm trying to say to you. Not everyone who prophesies is speaking for God. You should be clear with that. The Bible is a completed prophecy that we know to be God's word, period. Right? You don't need to go outside of that to get God's word. It's a complete work, meaning you don't need anything extra to live out the life God expects you to live outside of the Bible. But then prophecy is a gift given to the church to encourage, to tell us the perfect will of God for this particular life today. right? It's a gift where even, I, I, I believe, um, I would rather um, quote scripture. This is 1 Corinthians 14. It says this. On the other hand, this is 1 Corinthians 14.3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation, right. The gift of prophecy itself is God's immediate interaction with his, his 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 like his people, basically, right. Right. So it's very helpful today, and today prophecy will be very valuable. Then, like when you define prophecy, what is it? It's just speaking. God's truth to God's people according to scripture. Period. That spans into a lot of things we do every day. Like today, we worshiped. That brought the word of God to us, particularly. And we evaluate it based on does it conform to the word of God or not? Right? And in the Bible, there are ways to know what's false and what's right. To the second question is the Bible says, When a prophet or someone is prophesying, let other prophets sit, evaluate what he or she is saying, basically, mostly he, and say that's true prophecy or that's not. The prophet has to be subject to other prophets to be validated. The other thing it says is if a prophet prophesies something that goes contrary to God's word, the Old Testament even says anyone who tries to take you away from God and tells you a false thing, you don't even want to hear what it says. Their life is at stake, basically, when they do that, right? So it's serious business. And then the last marker is if a person prophesies something, let's say it's about the future or the present or how you should live, And eventually that prophecy does not come true. It's a clear sign to you. You should not trust that person from that point on concerning prophecy. So these are very easy ways to tell if a prophecy is true or not. But the biggest marker I would say is if someone is saying something contrary to the scripture that you already know, stop listening. It could be anyone. It could be me. Stop listening. Um, So that's, that's the that we, I think, the scripture tells us to discern.
0: Yeah. Um, I would say, I think we need to define prophecy. And when we hear prophecy, or someone is prophesying, what we hear, honestly, is like this spiritual, like religious weatherman who tells you, tomorrow there's going to be a 60% chance of demons and a 40% chance of prosperity and a 20% chance of healing or something along the lines of that, right? Like, <laughs> we're, we're, just, we're just looking at someone that forecasts something for our lives. Really, uh, contemporarily speaking, that's what we're, we ha- when that comes to our mind immediately um, because that is just, we're inundated by it. It's all over the place. Um, and then election season is coming up, just wait another year, and you will see so many different prophets pop up from the woodworks and tell you this person is going to win, and that person is going to win, and this one is going to win, and God told them this. Um, Biblical prophecy, however, is not the way that the Bible defines prophecy. The way that the biblical audience received the word prophecy in itself um, is not the same way we receive it. Today, prophecy doesn't just simply seek to tell you the future or predict the future. There is a there is a notion where it predicts, it predicts the future, but even that prediction is based on the already revealed will of God. Like we have the prophets, right, that we read. Prophet Isaiah, you know, you talk about Prophet Elijah, Moses was a prophet. We have prophets like Ezekiel, like those authoritative prophets that when they speak, we actually have to submit. We can't say, if I speak prophetically today, which I could, um, not that in and of myself, if the Holy Spirit allows me to, right? You can say, ah, you know, I, I take this one, but I'm probably not going to take this other one. But if Isaiah is telling you something in the book of the Bible, you can't, you can't come and say, yeah, I'll take verses 1 through 5, but verses 6 through 11, nah, I, I don't rock with that one. Like, you have no option. It's in God's Word. And it is a prophecy. You have to accept it. If you don't understand it, you can say, I don't understand how this applies to me, and then seek God for that. But even them, I'm just pulling that out to give you the authority of the biblical prophets, the actual office of prophet, and, and those who wrote the, the Bible for us. They speak authoritatively. But even when we look at their prophecies, an overwhelming majority of it, even if they're predicting the future, they're more concerned about what God's people's heart should be today. And then they're reflecting back to what God has already revealed in his word to go back. So the idea of prophecy it's not necessarily to predict the future for you so that you can kind of just keep doing what you're doing until that day comes. It's, it's, for you, it's, it's for you to make a change of your life today. That's, that's another thing. So again, going back to the, the definition of prophecy, and I looked it up both in the Hebrew and in the Greek. <laughs> um, it's, it's just just a revelation of divine truth. That's all it is. And we have a trustworthy one, Peter tells us, 1 Peter. We have a trustworthy revelation of God's truth and God's word. So in terms of the question, if we have the Bible, why should why should we, uh, what's the point of prophecy? Is to clarify, to interpret it, to speak prophetically, and to say this is what the Bible says and this is how we must apply it today. That's speaking prophetically. Um today. Um, and, and if we don't repent and, and, and change our ways today as a church, then God is going to discipline us, even judge us as a church. That's the means of prophecy. To edify, to encourage, as, as um, Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians, God, God wrote, uh, read that one. That is what the biblical prophet did um they they could predict the future they they could know the past things that happened in the past remember when jesus met with um the lady at the well right the samaritan woman at the well he tells her something that she nobody knew about her or somebody that and she calls him what i can tell that you're a prophet who was sent by god so these are the things that they may know Uh, They can look into someone's heart. Really, it's Jesus who can really look into the person's heart and know the motivation. Um, But essentially, prophecy is a proclamation of God's truth to God's people. They're not magicians or they're not spiritual weather people that can come and tell you, hey, you know what? God is telling me right now, in, in the year 2025, you're going to whatever. Um, or in the year 2030, you're going to be making $160,000 a year. Um, and you're like, yes, I need that. Grab onto that, put it in my pocket. Hold on to that, live by that. Like, who doesn't want to hear something like that? You come tell me that I'm, 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 I won the lottery. I'd be happy too. But it's not sensual in nature. It's not something about sensible. I'm not saying that God can't speak to you in that way but the overwhelming uh, culture in our time. And that's what we want to hear is, and God even warns us against them, which leads me to the second part of the question. How do you know when a person is lying? Short answer, you don't. As they're speaking, you don't. But there is a litmus test. Thank God for that. Deuteronomy chapter 18 Verse 15, God tells them, by the way, this is actually Moses tells people of God that God will raise up a prophet, and this is how you know this prophet is telling the truth. If the prophet says something, and he actually God through Moses is saying this, if he's saying these things and he's saying, I heard it from God, and nothing doesn't come to pass or come true, man, just ignore him. Don't don't even listen to him. I mean, in some parts of scripture and the law, they're actually supposed to take him out of the city and stone him to death. Not encouraging that by, by any means. That is more a civil law, which we'll deal with later, than anything else. But just don't pay attention to him. But you might ask, but some of these prophets, although they are false, these things do come to pass. Jesus himself says, in the last days, People will come claiming to be me, and they will even do, this is Matthew 24 and 25, and when they ask them um, about the last days, they will do miracles and wonders, prophesying about me, uh, the claim to be me, and you would see these things. So how do we know the difference? How do we know somebody's lying? And that, you can go to Deuteronomy 13, and you can find that answer for, um, for that as well. Even if the thing they say comes to pass, Moses says. If they are leading you away from Yahweh, the God who delivered you from the hands of Egypt, and leading you to follow and worship other gods, then don't listen to them. Even though what they're saying comes true, even though it comes to pass, are they pointing you to Christ? Are they pointing you to the Lord or are they pointing you to financial wealth and health and prosperity and those are low-hanging fruits or or whatever the sensuality things are or success in, in, in a worldly way or like fame and fortune and all those things. Are they leading you to that or some kind of cult practices? Are they leading you to that or are they pointing to, okay, these things are happening in your life. So that you can worship God and honor him and look to Christ and be focused on him. So that's a litmus test for for us, biblically, the Bible provides. One, does it come to pass? If it doesn't, easy. You tell me a false uh, prophecy, you're, you're not a true prophet. But if it does come to pass, then what is your intention? Where are you leading me? Are you causing me to be conformed into the image of Christ? Or are are you trying to change me into the patterns of this world? Which one is it? Now, if it's the the latter, then you don't listen to them, is what God commands us to do. Um, So just redefining prophecy to know that this is just a proclamation of God's will um, for our context so that we can live a godly life today so that we can avoid or receive a promise or avoid a consequence of it. That's what prophecy is. That's why it's necessary for us today. Um, And and how do we know them? Those two um, uh, portions of Scripture, Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18, give us a very clear picture for that. Um, For the sake of time, let's uh, run through the next question. What does the Bible say about tattoos? I have a really short answer. Can I go? Yeah. yeah. So the Bible, what does it say about tattoos? Because I know most of your parents probably have a lot to say about tattoos. Um, Here's what the Bible says about tattoos. It's very short. One verse. And you shall not make any cuts in your body, for the dead, or make any tattoo marks on yourself. I am Yahweh. That's what the Bible says about the tattoos. But what does that mean? So should we have it or not? What's happening? I know, I'm just joking. I'm just giving you um, time to breathe and laugh. And, you know, everybody seems to be tense. Um, especially this is a tattoo issue, right? <laughs> so this is not a law, by the way. And it's in Leviticus. Um, And I think understanding the laws that God gives his people uh, and the, um, theologically speaking, the categories of God's people's laws, uh, the laws of God. Um, So there's the ceremonial law, uh, which is mostly like about the sacrificial uh, system. Israel had to follow uh, the dietary laws. Um, laws about what they can wear and what they can't wear, and then there's the civil laws, which is which is more concerned about the civil order of, of Israel. Like if somebody kills your ox uh, or somebody steals you uh, steals something from you, this is how much they should pay you back, and this is how they should be. This is more like civil um, criminal laws, if you will, uh, for the for the nation Israel. And then there's moral laws, which are ethical. Uh, And they're based on the character of who God is. But really, both the civil and the ceremonial laws kind of flow out of the moral laws. That's why the Ten Commandments, anywhere that you go, any nation would have something that says murder is illegal. Like there's no place where stealing is legal. Um... Or you won't be held from that. So even like the civil laws of of the nation Israel. So where this um, question of tattoos falls under is under the ceremonial laws. Now Jesus has already accomplished the ceremonial, the civil. All those laws have been accomplished in Jesus. um, And the moral laws. And that doesn't mean that we don't need to keep laws. Don't hear me say that. I'm not preaching anti-law over here. Just because Jesus died for our murderous heart, we shouldn't go out and murder. Or covetous hearts, we should just go out and covet. That's not what I'm saying. Um, But to come back to to tattoos, I say short, but I mean like short for me, um, not in an objective way. Um, This falls under the ceremonial law where God intended... um, when God gave this ceremonial law, the point of it is to point to the Messiah first, right? The ceremonial law, the sacrificial system is to point to Christ and how he would be the atoning sacrifice for us. That's why Israel year after year and read the book of Hebrews. If you don't, if you want to know more, they went and they killed animals and they sacrificed to point to Christ. Uh, That's the point of the ceremonial law. And also they, um, God wanted to give Israel a distinct culture, a distinct um, kind of conduct of life that is going to make them different than those nations around them. So the nations around them at that time would actually mark their bodies for the dead and make tattoos um, on them for the dead. And because God did not want them to be like the other nations, which Israel turns around and they say that we want to be like that. the other nations, give us a king. Another conversation for another day. But um, so it's it's that law that 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 the Bible explicitly talks about tattoos. Um, if you go out and get a tattoo today, do you lose your salvation? I can't tell you you can or can't because I'm not the giver of salvation. But But should you do it based on that? Uh, Not necessarily. It's it's more like a Christian liberty issue. I think there's a follow up question right there.
1: Uh, Yeah, like me personally, I feel like tattoos should be prohibited. But there, I believe there's like a verse in either Psalms or Proverbs that says like,
0: um, like the heart kind of defines you instead of like the image outside of you. So like, if somebody was to come up to you and give you that verse to try and justify.
1: By
0: them getting a tattoo what would be the word for that? that they they would be getting a tattoo based on this verse yeah or which verse the verse that you said or the verse that I, the that, verse I that I said yeah It's like somewhere like of somewhere yeah somewhere or like that. um so it's not the outwardly things is God sees the heart I mean the heart is probably <laughs> if we think our tattoos defile us we don't know our hearts um so when people tell me I think I, I said this a couple of weeks ago, uh, when people say, oh, God knows my heart. I'm like, yeah, and that should scare you. <laughs> because you don't even know your heart. Then how deceptive and how weak it is in terms of like how easy it is for Satan to tempt you and get you trapped into a sin. Right. And that's because of the weakness of the heart. But we we, we try to do that. So I would, I would probably say that. But again, culturally speaking, tattoos were at least and my generation, or maybe the generation before me, were, um, were a sign of like going against the grain, right? If you wanna rebel against your parents, you went and got a tattoo. And then the more provocative the tattoo is, the more autonomous you, if you're doing it from that heart, you shouldn't get a tattoo because you're already breaking God's moral law and trying to justify it by saying this is just a ceremonial law that I don't need to follow that has been fulfilled. Right? But if if your heart is like, oh, you know, I like art. And I designed this, thing, you know, just, just a preference issue. And if it causes you to sin, I'm not gonna do it. Or I'm not gonna show off my tattoos around you. If that's something because I love you as a brother or as a sister. But I just, I just like art, and that's what I feel like. I, I, I personally don't see any harm in it. Now, don't go and tell Pastor Manny said we should get tattoos, and God is not. No, look at your heart. Look at the motivation, as my brother rightly asked, and like, what is the motivation really? Walk through it, pray through it, and say, "Am I getting a tattoo for, for?" For rebellion issues, or am I trying to get a tattoo? Because now in this generation, like if you don't have a tattoo, actually, you might be going against the grain. In in our generation. Because everybody and their mama, and I mean that in a literal way, everybody and their mother got a tattoo these days. (laughs) Like so if you don't have a tattoo, like, what? What do you mean you don't have a tattoo? So if you want to re- rebel against the culture today, don't get a tattoo. That's a personal one. That's not an authoritative one, right? Like it's actually turned the other way around. Um, if you're just getting it so that you can fit in and please your friends or whatever, even that is a motivation of like a, you're not really leading yourself. So that, that's not the right motivation to get a tattoo. So I would say check your motivation against the word of God. Um, if you're thinking of a the, of the tattoo. But and and within that, um, I, there's no like outright law. And I don't want to write a law where there's no law. Um, and especially knowing that this law is there in the Bible, but that is more of a ceremonial law, not a moral law, um, to make you distinct as a people of God. Because... Yeah, you might not get a tattoo, but I guarantee you, if you look at your tag and and the back of your um, your shirt or your hoodie, whatever you're wearing, you're probably going to see like 20% polyester and 30% cotton and then like whatever the rest is, 50% something that you can't even pronounce. And the people of Israel, God's law says don't wear clothes like that. If you're going to wear cotton, just wear full cotton. But we still do that, right? So those are ceremonial laws. We get to pick and choose based on the motivation. Um, that is the shortest answer that I've ever given. <laughs> Says sarcastically. Um, I don't know if you have to add anything to that. Our time is like pushing.
1: Yeah, so our time is going uh, for the next three questions, especially the ones you group together. Yeah. I'm just going to stay silent. And once you're done with all three of them, I'm just going to add one more thing, but then that's it Okay. for me. Um, at this point about tattoos, I think I just, I agreeing with Manny. The only thing I want to say is also let's be practical about it. Let's be realistic about it. Right. Um, if you go on the internet and research the topic, uh, like almost everybody has tattoos and the meaning of their tattoos has nothing to do with them. They don't care about it anymore. Like, what's your tattoo it's about peace like what particularly about peace did you want to say with your tattoo they have no reason what's this tattoo some people would say like this is a person that i used to be with in the past and is that person in your life right now no like i don't even you know like have a good relationship with them i have a horrible relationship with them so you're doing something permanent is what what the story? like the bottom line is right it's a huge responsibility and there's an age limit for that tattoo um and the other thing that i i want to add in that reality is like it's just the way you do it just like manny has been saying if it's for the sake of creating something in yourself that you should have in christ like being unique or you know going against the culture just because it feels like you're holding a higher moral stance by by doing like by getting that tattoo i'm just telling you the only way you could do that is by believing in christ and following him following what he did christ was like nobody else on the earth if you really want to be different completely from everybody imitate christ and you don't have to go far in your journey For you to stand out in in real life other than that also don't forget when you go to a place of employment if you have tattoos on a certain place they won't hire you just because of that right so like all i'm saying here is let's so i i started by saying i agree a hundred percent with Manny. so i believe there are no rules for tattoos to be like as christians that we have to follow right we can either have them or not within the, the, like the truth that Manny revealed to us. Let's do it for the right reasons and in the right heart. But on the other side, I want us also to be wise and understand this has physical implications in our lives. Let's be wise about these decisions because they're not reversible. A lot of people go through pat- tattoo removal processes And they pay a lot of money. They spend a lot of time and go through a lot of pain to remove something they put on themselves. So it's not a small, lightly, something that you can take lightly uh, to do. But other than that, um, I don't see any problem with it either. Um, Just be wise about it. All
0: right. Yeah, so this question, what does it mean in the second to last chapter of Job when God talks to Job about two animals, the Leviathan and the behemoth, or I don't know what translation was the mammoth, but I saw it was the behemoth. Um, so what are those things? And I I struggled to, to like, Find the heart of this question. Like, are you wanting a, more like a zoological, archaeological? <laughs> like, what what animals are there? Do, do they have a name for them now? Or like, is this a dinosaur? I I don't know. My mind went like a thousand different places. Um, so I told Kyle you are gonna answer this question. Uh, so <laughs> so he he will.
1: Uh. I didn't take it. Um, I'm not going to answer what the animals are or what the point of them. Uh, if like I'm thinking when the person asked this question, it could be two things. One thing could be, is this either the dinosaurs or something? You know what I mean? Is this telling us what science is saying is true or false or whatever? Or did God create creatures that kind of got... Well, destroyed and they're extinct now. I think that's the underlying question that could be underneath this.
0: If it is, it
1: doesn't really matter. If it's true, if there's evidence for an an animal that existed and it's not there anymore, don't worry about it. It's okay. It doesn't doesn't go against the Bible. If it's been created, it's fine. Um, And the other thing is, like, why I say that is because there are so many animals that even in my lifetime, they're going extinct, right? The pandas, we're trying to preserve them. If we didn't do anything about it, maybe they may go extinct. And like two generations later, people are gonna have myths about them. And like, there used to be this creatures called pandas and it proves that the Bible is not true. No, like it doesn't. We have pandas right now, it doesn't prove anything. It, in other words, it actually proves God created amazing creatures, that's what it proves. So if that's the question, I would say don't emphasize that, don't, don't, you don't have to struggle with that. If you're a scientist, if you're like specifically working in that area, please do work in that. And whatever you find, please share it with us, it's good. And we can learn from scientists who are faithful to the Bible truth every time, right? Uh, but not every scientist is faithful to the truth or the Bible. Um, But from the perspective or what really matters in this this mention of these two creatures is why God used them to respond to Job. Why he used them to respond to Job is these animals are very fierce, one sea creature, the other one land creature. And they're so scary that you wouldn't even provoke them because if you fight with them, you're not going to survive, basically. And you try to use any man-made weapon on them, their skin won't even get pierced. That's what God is mentioning with these two animals, right? And He's mentioning, like, if you're so scared to actually provoke a creature that I made, how dare you think you can speak to me or relate to me as if I'm not even as scary as that, right? How dare you think you can answer back to me in such a way that... So God is saying... I'm powerful in this, right? He he explains before this that he's infinitely wise. He says, I take care of the constellations. I, I move them. You don't even know what the universe is like. And I'm in control of it, every bit of it. So you're not wise enough to ask these questions. And then he also explains, I take care and feed all the animals in the world. So he shows, I'm good. I'm loving. I'm kind. I'm detailed in what I do how dare you question my goodness? And this last one is, how dare you just talk to me like, as if there is no difference between God and man? How dare you speak in such a way that is not respectful of the identity of God? Like, if we want to address the Queen of England or something, that's where fear exists nowadays, or a celebrity, let's say, We will limit our words. We know we have brief moments, so we don't, you know, we're not like careless about the time given to us. We dress up to meet them, And we are told you're only going to speak if spoken to and things like that. We respect that. We don't even do that much with God. And God is trying to say, if you did that, even the answers to your questions will be clear to you before you even ask me. If you have that idea, that high view of me, in the beginning, most of your questions will disappear with that. And the response from Job is, I spoke too much already and I have nothing to say. I'm humbled. I see you as you really are. And that answers my question, is what Job says after this. So these creatures, whether extinct or existing today, their point is they're showing us the glory of God, the power of God. If you're scared of a lion, you should at least have that kind of perspective when you approach God, and that will inform your heart to know even the love of God that we have received in Christ, that we can easily approach Him by the work done for us in Christ. So that's, that's yes. all I want.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's perfect. That's... Um... Uh, England doesn't have a queen anymore, it's yeah. a king, just, just a correction there, it's the king of England. Um, but yeah, I mean, think of a lion. <laughs> you don't even need a lion to be scared of today. I'm pretty sure I can probably scare like 80% of this room with a spider or a mouse. And 100% with a garden snake. So imagine. So that's that's the point um, of, of those two things. They're fearsome. There's one category of question that I want to deal with, um, which is like three questions, but they should be all about the same about the songs, uh, music, and, and, and movies. Movies. That'll be the last question that we want to deal with. There is one outstanding one, which um, right. we will. Uh, we will address next time uh, we have a QA. and a But I do want to address this one. And there's three questions. Is it okay to listen to secular music? Um, what kind of music should uh Yeah, what kind of movie should uh, cr- uh, Christians watch? And then there's like something... How do... Yeah, how do you know what type of music to listen to that is not sinful? Okay. Um, yeah, so... so so these are in the same realm. This is a honestly um, a wisdom call for the most of us um, in terms of like when I say a wisdom call, I mean, we can be free to listen to music. Music and, and movies are fine. But there is uh, one of the thing. There is a clear distinction that if the music is actually promoting ungodliness, um, the content of the movie or the music, is explicitly, outrightly like going against godliness and biblical truth and like it's almost anti-Christ, you should clearly. And there are music genres and movies that are like that um, without going into too much detail and naming names. um, I think you guys know what those are. Um, like if the lyrics of the, the, the song is promoting murder or promiscuity um, or there is some promiscuity or other knowingly the things, behaviors that are ungodly, that are in, like clearly, just visibly right there in front of you in the movie, you should, you should avoid them. Um, because they have a way of corrupting you. Um, But I like the beats. I I mean, for the beats, I can give you enough, and this is what I hear a lot. Um, Hip-hop beats, right? They're nice. You know, you can bob your head to it. You can work out to it. You know, the flow is nice and everything else. I mean, for every new rapper out there that's pushing the worldly agenda, we can find just as good of beats um, and, and flows and rhymes and all of that that actually have the, the gospel at the center of it. So it's really not about the beats. It really is what our flesh desires. It's bragging, me-centered lifestyle. Um, so if it's clearly evident that this is leading me into sinful lifestyle, or leading me to think in a sinful manner, um, you should avoid it. And I'm, I'm only picking on uh, rap uh, or hip-hop, but any genre, honestly, um, R&B, whatever else, country, whatever, right? Um, if it's clearly doing that, if it's explicitly sinful in its content or invites you to participate in sinful activities, avoid it. You should not be listening to songs or watching movies that are like that, period. That is um, that is clear. But where there's no distinction, right? Like, what about the gray area? And I think all these questions are coming from that. But what if I'm not listening to shoot em up or whatever <laughs> kind of songs, right? Like, what if I'm not watching, like, you know, R-rated movies or whatever after R comes and it's like, what what, what are those gray areas? Like, cannot be, and that's where I said it's it's a wisdom call and a few things, a few texts to consider um, comes to mind. um, Romans 12, chapter 2, I mean, uh, verse 2. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Ask yourself when you're picking the movies and the uh, music choices. Am I being conformed into the patterns of this world or am I being transformed by the renewing of my mind? Is this content of the movie going to help me in the transformation of my mind to look more like Christ or is it going to be like, am I going to be conforming to the patterns of this world? That's a subjective question that you would have to ask based on your personal interest. Hence, it becomes a wisdom call. Um, Romans 13, uh, starting in verse 11, and and the context of that is like who eats meat, who doesn't. Um, I think that's actually Romans 14. Um, we, We like, should I eat meat or should I be a vegetarian is what Paul is like, well, if you're mature enough and you think eating meat is okay, go ahead and eat meat, but if you're not, don't eat it based on your maturity, but if you're a mature one, don't look at the immature or the less mature brother and one, judge him, condemn him, and two, don't. Flaunt your maturity in front of somebody else. Look what I can watch. I'll break it down to you. If you're struggling with lust in your heart, and if the lyrics of a song that has that kind of intention towards it, and you want to avoid that, and you get into your friend's car and they're playing music like that, and they're not struggling with that same sin, but you listening. And then they look at you and say, man, it's just words, man. What, what are you talking about? Don't be that guy, is what Paul is saying. Because you're being a stumbling block and you're causing your brother to sin and you're not loving to one another. So that's the wisdom call that I'm, that I'm talking about. If you are going, if you have nightmares at night and you go on a sleepover and your cousin that you're sleeping over loves scary movies and gory movies that are really dark. And don't make them watch that or make fun of them. Instead, just watch something that you both can find where neither one of them are there. Like gory movies in and of themselves are not inherently, you know. So it's a wisdom call from, from that perspective Um, If it invites you to participate in sinful activities, avoid it. Um, If it's sinful in its nature, uh, avoid it. And and it's clear. We know it. I I mean, I don't have to go into details. You know what's wrong. Like you know what they're saying in their their lyrics is wrong. You know the actions that you're looking at it. And the screen, you would not allow anybody to come into your house and catch you doing the things that you're watching them do. So that's that's a more practical, but also based on biblical truth, um, way of thinking about what kind of uh, music. Listen to good music. There is such a thing as good music. Watch good movies. Entertainment is a grace from God. Like, it's a gift to be entertained, to listen to good music. I think we listen to some, some good music to, today. We even sang it. I, I heard it. Right? Um, but I get it. Like, my brother here would confess that he he actually works out to hymns and podcasts. Me, on the other hand... Uh, <laughs> I'm not judging by the way <laughs> i mean it's it's hard for me to to get on the bike and just be like uh, like at the cross at the cross i mean great i love those songs that's great music i i just i, I can't i can't get hip to that so i would listen to um like christian hip hop and like it gets my blood going right like i'm like i'm running and i'm running to the beat and it helps me even whatever but that's, that's just like a more personal look. But if, if you like hymns and you work out to to hymns or podcasts, man, pray for me. I want to be like you when I grow up. Um, but <laughs> just listen to whatever good music or watch any good, wholesome uh, movies. That's a general rule of thumb um, in, in that sense. I'm done. Your turn.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh- We should be done as soon as possible. Uh, I'll try to be as brief as I could. Uh, I totally agree with that. I think it's a very wise thing to follow what we just heard. I think it's at the end of the day, after asking these questions, it's like listening to the answer and like evaluating where we are and living according to the counsel that God gives us that really matters. So don't take these things lightly because if you don't pay attention to the answers that are being given, like you guys asked earlier, why is prophecy useful this is basically one of the rules of prophecy. It tells you, it helps you deal with everyday questions according to God's word. And then when you hear it, you know what I mean? You can accept it and apply it in your life. You know what I mean? And that will help you. But if you don't, if you don't, if you, if you don't pay attention, ultimately you're going to have, you're going to give answers to these questions and you have to, right? You're just going to go and do whatever. And that's not good for anyone including mm-hmm. us who are here right so that's one big thing that I want to remind and with that comes this idea that if you know the scripture if you're growing in your faith the scripture itself will your, inform your heart you will be changed you will be new right like when you're changed what you experience is going to be different you're not gonna like if you've been eating junk food for a while and like for a month you start eating healthy you go back to the junk food, your taste buds are different. You don't, you know, it's too sugary or it's too junk. Like it, you can taste the, the fat or the, the like, it, it's not exciting anymore. You know what I mean? So if you have the scripture and your heart is changing, you will have the answer to these questions one music at a time or one moment at a time. Um, and the last thing I want to say with that is, like, also be careful that these things that you're asking about movies and music and all these things nowadays we are like a generation entertained to death basically right music like if you are even not playing any music you go to a grocery store you will hear it you're in a in your car and you're listening to the radio music pops up somewhere you're listening to a commercial there's music in it right know that this thing you're like consuming it at an excessive level right so if you cannot stop yourself from listening to music make sure that you know this this thing that you're consuming so much is in control of you you'll find yourself utter phrases and words that you heard even subconsciously when you speak listen to yourself do you speak like what you hear in movies You speak like what you hear in music, even though you never thought about those ideas beforehand. So Jesus warns us, whatever you put in your heart, whatever you put in your mind is going to ultimately fill your heart. And that's going to control your life, right? So I would say choosing music, majority of the time, that edifies you, that leads to to Christ, even secular music, even secular movies, there are movies about what people have experienced in real life and that what they learned from it that teaches us something we wouldn't find anywhere else. right? That's why it's valuable, these things. There is music that you wouldn't find among Christian artists that secular people have produced and it's secular oriented. Yet there's truth in it, there is beauty in it that you won't get anywhere else. So make sure what you're consuming overwhelmingly or majority of your time is not just something you randomly end up with just because of the beat or whatever instead be intentional about what kind of music you listen to majority of the time because it will eventually have an impact on you consciously and subconsciously that's the only thing i would say as far as the liberty in christianity is concerned we were talking yesterday with manny i am the freest he was saying to me once I became Christian that I've never been in my life. Christ set us free from living lives that actually destroy us. It's not it's not Amen. a life of a bunch of rules. Like if you do this, if you touch this, if you look this way, you're like doomed. That's not what the, what the gospel is. And I think you should really take this and be more freer, at the same time wiser, as we speak to you about these things. Other than that, we love you guys. We want you to be free, enjoy your life, and glorify Christ and become formed to his image at the same time. Right?
0: Yeah. um, I was going to add something, but I see that time is already, like we're 20 minutes over time already. Um, If it didn't feel like that, That means it's. Did it feel like that for you guys? No. So we can go another twenty minutes. No, I'm joking. Uh, If you don't mind, uh, praying for us, and we will conclude as we're getting ready to uh, to pray. If you joined us late, um, right after this, and those of you that are getting baptized, I hope you guys have you guys are ready. Um, We're going straight after service to to baptism. Um, You can cut this off, by the way.